Hello and welcome to Undercommon Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. You are such that besides this physical body, you have another astral body. Do not therefore be afraid of getting rid of this mortal frame. Rumi. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. Today we are going to continue our look into the planes of D&D 5e. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about the transitive planes. So we're going to be touching on the ethereal and astral planes. And the ethereal and astral planes are, there's not a whole lot going on in them per se, because they are the transition from point A to point B. But there is stuff going on in them, and there's some interesting possibilities that you can draw on for your games that we really wanted to touch on. These plants are really interesting. If I could put anything, it's like the deep ocean where there's absolutely nothing until there's everything. If it's in there and you find it, it's probably going to be slightly terrifying, but there is just vast expanses of nothingness. It's kind of the whole joke. That's why they call space space because it has so much space. (laughs) Right, yeah. So I say we just go ahead and dive straight on in. We don't really have a whole lot of lead in on this one. (laughs) Tally ho. (laughs) Tally ho. So let's go ahead and start off with the ethereal plane because of the two, the ethereal is a little more likely to be encountered in a game and it's got a little less going on than the astral plane so let's go ahead and start off with the ethereal plane first okay so like ian was saying the ethereal plane tends to be a little less complex and we've touched upon the ethereal plane once or twice and i'm trying really hard not to call it the ethereal plane because that's just funny but yes the ethereal plane again it's going to be your closest mirror of your material plane it's going to be a one-to-one you can actually see the material plane from the ethereal plane and again it's going to be easier to get to as ian was saying it doesn't bring quite as much to the table but what the ethereal plane does is it mirrors so many other planes so closely that is a great doorway absolutely and it's still not simple to get to i mean if you're going by the book you still have to have a 7th level spell to get into the ethereal plane. You have to have etherealness or plane shift in order to get into the ethereal plane. Willingly. <laughs> Willingly, yes. <laughs> so it is something that if you're going rules as written, you're not going to run into until you hit a much higher level. However, there are ways to fudge that. Kind of like what we were talking about with our shadow crossings for the shadow fell with our fey crossings for the fey wild. There are places where you can go that the boundaries sort of thin and you're more easily able to get through. But one of the important things to remember is that the ethereal plane, there are depths to it. Um, one of the analogies that I saw whenever I was doing research is, is it's like the ocean. Uh, you have the border ethereal which is where you can see everything going on on the plane that you just left. That's like the shallows just offshore. And then you have a curtain, and beyond that curtain is the deep ethereal. And that's the weird, nebulous, foggy area where there isn't really an up or down or left or right. Time doesn't really have any meaning, and you can just wander, and you'll end up finding the other curtains to the other plane's and you'll be able to pass through the curtains. And that's how you can use the ethereal plane to travel from one plane to another. Right. If your character is going to wind up in the deep ethereal plane, that 
as a DM, you're really going to want to consider what kind of effect this is going to have on your character's psyche because it is really, really a vast nothingness. It, it is the absolute pinnacle of sensory deprivation. There's no input. There's no time. There's no sense of direction. There's no up or down. There's no hot or cold. It's just this gray, foggy nothing. And you can specifically only see out to 30 feet. It doesn't matter if you have dark vision. It doesn't matter if you have true sight. You can only see out to 30 feet. Right. So, I mean, you can look at any kind of pop culture movie where, you know, your main character or whatever character passes and they're not quite into whatever land of dead that they're going to go. And that's kind of what the ethereal plane would be where, like, if they were a ghost form, which is something we'll talk about here shortly, they can kind of see in ghost form their friends and loved ones or maybe their body or the person, like, standing gloating over their, their dead and newly dead body. That would be the near ethereal plane. And then as they go through that long psychic delic hallway or that bright flash of white light or whatever, you know, the movie puts at that point, that's going closer to what the deep ethereal would be. Me personally, just that kind of absolute nothingness. I'm not sure if that's comforting or terrifying because I could see that going really either way. Just that absolute sense of boredom would be terrifying. But if there's no input, I guess you wouldn't really be bored either. Or that feeling of being lost. Kind of the same thing I get. I'm absolutely stoked about like all the rover pictures and stuff coming from Mars that we've got ingenuity and perseverance out there. But my mind has such a hard time wrapping the concept around a planet that has nothing. It's not a desert. It's not a patch of land. The entire planet. There's no plants. There's no animal sounds. There's no bird song. There's no water. There's a bit of wind, but it's a fairly light wind because there's not a lot of atmospheric pressure. There's just nothing. And this deep ethereal would be even more so. Yeah, it's like that scene that you see in a lot of movies where you know someone goes to meet God or something and gets sucked into this white room yeah. where it doesn't have a defined floor or ceiling or walls. It's just an endless expanse of white. And it's just them and the person or entity that pulled them in standing together in this emptiness. That's the deep ethereal. Yeah, that's the other thing with the ethereal plane is like if you travel through the deep ethereal plane, there's no such thing as distance. So everything takes a time. And I believe it's a it's 1d 10 times 10 hours. Right. So you roll a full 10 and you're 100 hours, four full days of nothing. And then, oh, look, there's a door. <laughs> yeah, it's not even a door. It's just a curtain. So yeah, it's the shimmering color that just sort of appears and you pass through it. And when you pass through it, you enter into the border ethereal of whatever plane that is. So it goes from extremely boring to slightly less boring. And while your vision is limited to 30 feet in the deep ethereal, it's still limited in the border ethereal as well. It's limited to 60 feet, but you can still see everything around you that has a counterpart in the material plane. There are certain things like force spells extend into the ethereal plane so like a wall of force if you throw up a wall of force in the material plane it extends into the ethereal plane so you can't go into the ethereal plane to go around it there was an optional rule in third edition that said that living plants blocked movement in the ethereal plane because you can't enter the space occupied by a living entity so places that are like in the Feywild that are these citadels that are made out of growing trees you wouldn't be able to pass through the walls and you know break in 
using the ethereal plane because the living tree, the life force of the tree would keep you from passing through the wall. This would make trying to like be a rogue going through the ethereal plane really difficult if you are like in an elvish or dryad city type thing where, you know, they make their city out of their trees and whatnot. Myconids would probably be the same thing with the mushrooms. As Ian was saying, a lot of these force spells that still kick around, you know, force cage and things like that, they are some of the few tangible things in the ethereal plane. So if you're a high enough level to get there by your own doing, these are definitely some spells you want to consider having known because they can definitely put a barrier between you and whatever, you know, nasties tend to pop up. Because like we said, in the near realms or the near parts of the ethereal plane, there are actually some interesting things that can kind of swarm at you all of a sudden, which can definitely catch you by surprise or unaware. Right. And there are instances where they have what's called ethereal solids. This is another third edition thing where you can take an object and magically shunt it physically into the ethereal plane. So things like the Vanish spell, which I don't think has a parallel in 5th edition, but basically you could take an object and shunt it into the ethereal plane. Usually you did this with something like a treasure chest, so you would be able to push it into the ethereal plane and then recall it when you needed it. Another example that they gave in the 3rd edition Manual of the Planes was a wizard who wanted to have a private secret library so they basically build a library in their wizard tower magically shunt it to the ethereal plane and then build an exact duplicate of it again in the material plane so that way they can enter their library cast etherealness and go into their actual secret library on the ethereal plane and not have to be bothered i really like that as a mechanic and i would totally do that as a wizard like just like you know what I'm sick of the world. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going into my room. <laughs> Just kind of slam the door on everybody. <laughs> right. And as much as we've talked about with 4th edition, where they really kind of stepped up and hammered out a lot of lore, because I largely skipped 4th edition because I read it did not review well, I was surprised by that. But it seems like they've kind of let the ethereal and the astral planes go ahead and slip by in this edition. So where a lot of these planes got a good polish and some update between fourth and fifth. Again, there seems to be a bit of a gap that they've left between three. So a lot of the stuff where it's not firmly hammered down to fifth edition, we do have to go back to our older editions to kind of grab some ideas just to get something tangible. In that regard, these planes are innately intangible. So I guess that kind of feels correct for them. Right. And it plays into the whole ethos of fifth edition that Wizards was going with, with here's some base guardrails. Have fun. Right. Which gets kind of infuriating whenever you're like us and you want at least a little bit of inspiration to draw from. You want to know what's there so that you can tinker with it. And it's not just enough to know that, oh, yeah, there's something here. Figure it out on your own. Yeah. So so we totally need to summon second edition on this. (laughs) (laughs) but in third edition there were a couple of other little things that i wanted to touch on one of them is what were called dead magic zones so there were areas in the ethereal plane that are just these big black zones and if you are magically traveling through the ethereal plane you can't enter them so you have to actually shunt back into the material plane and go around them if you encounter one of these or be dead. No, you just could not enter it. it oh, it's okay. not that it killed you. It's just that it was a barrier and you couldn't 
go into it. Okay, I thought you were saying if you're traveling it magically, because if you're dead or you're a specter, then you're not traveling magically. That's just your form. And I'm wondering if you'd be able to pass through it at that point. Maybe. You might be able to. Yeah. It didn't go into a whole lot of detail. It was like two paragraphs <laughs> in a 300-page book. So Right, again, it, that's where those rules get really flimsy. And then the other one that I wanted to touch on for a while, it's one that has multiple iterations depending on which edition you look at and it's the dreamscape or the plane of dreams according to some interpretations it originally it was contained within the curtain that separated the border and deep ethereal some iterations say that it's its own individual plane within the ethereal plane there are a whole bunch of different ways that you can go about doing it. There was actually an article that I found in Dragon Magazine number 287 where they went in and they're like, okay, so here's four different ways that you can do the Plane of Dreams. So there historically has been a whole lot of variation to dreams. And so there's... there's That's exactly as it should be. Because again, this is something that's not terribly tangible. So... And looking at things, I don't think there is actually a full port of Plane of Dreams actually in 5th edition. So it's one of those things that kind of looking like it got left behind for whatever reason. But again, can be a huge... I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff story-wise, plot-wise with the Plane of Dreams. I think probably the most complex or the most thorough version of the Plane of Dreams that I think I've encountered in literature was definitely done in the Wheel of Time. And you had your Dreamwalkers, and that was a huge thing. If you're not a fan of 80s and 90s fantasy, Freddy Krueger would definitely be rocking in the Plane of Dreams. You know, whenever you fell asleep, that was his realm again. Absolutely, yes. That kind of thing. So all of those dream sequences or stuff like that, where the dream is so vivid it's real, absolutely the Plane of Dreams. Right, and the Plane of Dreams actually does have, in D&D, Dreamwalkers, which are people who are able to enter the Plane of Dreams at will. And then there's a lesser group, the ones that cannot physically enter, but can mentally enter and can control it, which are the Lucid Dreamers, which was a skill that you could pick up in 3rd edition, Lucid Dreaming, that you could tinker with. You don't want to know who you're going to find it in the Plane of Dreams, and you're probably going to find way more of them than you want. Night Hags. Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. yeah. And I liked that you brought up not a whole lot of the interaction with the Plane of Dreams in 5th edition because there is an archetype that we talked about a couple weeks ago that would be perfect for tying into the Plane of Dreams would be the Circle of Dreams Druid from Xanathar's Guide. According to the books, they draw their power from the Summer Court, which makes sense if you read Midsummer Night's Dream but it would make so much more sense for them to be able to draw it from the plane of dreams and for them to get this sort of dreamwalking ability if they don't already have it. I don't know. I It's been a while since I've looked at it and I don't play druids, but they're being able to physically enter the dream or bring people with them into the dream. That sort of thing would be a great and wonderful way to utilize the plane of dreams in a game with a circle of dreams druid. Right. You know, in mentioning that, it kind of reminds me, and I do have to correct myself also from previously, I absolutely love, I think it's still one of the better stories to handle the dreamscape. 
you know, obviously the Wheel of Time series. But then you're going to go back. I'm going to have to summon Blizzard again because they've just done it so well. Warcraft 3, World of Warcraft, the Emerald Dream. These are their druids would go into the Emerald Dream, which would definitely be on the plane of dreams to affect the world around them in the dreamscape. And then if something happened, then obviously the Emerald Dream got corrupted via various reasons. But a great way to work that power of dreams, even if it's not just telepathy or being able to communicate with somebody, but a way to make your dreams kind of reflect the material plane is that's actually a really cool way to do that as well. Yeah. And so just a little brief bit about the plane of dreams. And this is just about how it was described in the Wheel of Time. So I'm pretty sure that Robert Jordan pulled some of this from that or vice versa. Somebody inspired somebody. Somebody inspired somebody. But you end up having these little moats in the expanse, which are the people's dreams. And the size of the moat depends on, you know, the location of the dream and how deep the dreamer is and what have you. And as you get closer to the center, there's this nexus at the center of everything where the individual dreamscapes start to swirl together and you end up having rogue dreams and forgotten nightmares and all of these other hazards that start to swirl all in together. This is an area called the Dream Heart. And at the center of the Dream Heart is the Dream Tempest, which is all of these swirling dream energies that can actually literally kill you if you go in unprepared. So it's one of those instances of if you die in your dream, you die in real life. This is where that's true. Everywhere else, if you die in your dream, you just wake up. Right. We still need a warlock in there. Yeah, but within the Dream Tempest, (laughs) yeah. But within the Dream Tempest, you can take damage and you end up, if you die in the Dream Tempest, your body dies. It's kind of like dying in the Matrix at that point. Yes, absolutely. But once you get to the center, the center is the Eye of the Tempest. And according to canon, the Eye of the Tempest is different for everybody. And what you find at the Eye of the Tempest is whatever you're looking for. It's not the center of the Tootsie Pop, just like a little bit of a Tootsie Roll. (laughs) One, two, three. (laughs) But so this would be a great place to put some sort of entity if you wanted like a dream themed warlock that would actually be a really cool place to put it could have the god of dreams be here in the eye of the tempest are we gonna summer sandman yeah we can absolutely awesome Awesome. absolutely now see even the dream plan like this i think would be a great idea if you had like a group of intermittent players so basically you just needed to do a bunch of one-offs to link a story together you could almost totally do something like a dragon ball z where everyone's got a dream or a wish or something they want to get And that's the whole reason they're going there. And so now each scenario is a one-off where they have to fight their way through someone or someone else's dream. And again, these can be quick little pop, pop, pop and say, okay, we're going to do a campaign series, whatever. We're going to have 10 sessions. And each session is fighting through this dream. It makes it easier for if players can't make it every week type thing because you can just very easily pull in and plug in players, pull in players, take them out. So you don't have to have just the same party every time. Other than dealing with size, that requires some flexibility for the DM. But story-wise, this would work perfect for that kind of scenario. Right. Right. So there's one last thing to talk about on the ethereal plane before we start transitioning into the astral plane. All the spooky ghosts? Well, we're going to get there. Oh, okay. And that is ether cyclones. So there are vortices of energy that move throughout the ethereal plane. And if you're in the deep ethereal, you can get whammed by one of these. Oh, yeah. So if you're coming up on one, 
you get a DC 15 wisdom save to get 1d4 rounds of warning before it hits. And if you get your warning, you have that many rounds to make it to a curtain and go into the border ethereal before you get whammed by this either cyclone. You won't be in Oz anymore. You might be. <laughs> you very well might be. If you end up getting hit by an either cyclone, the entire party has to make a DC 15 charisma save. And if at least half of the party fails, you have to roll a D20 on the other table to see what happens. On a 1 to 12, your travel just gets an additional 1D 10 hours longer, which is annoying, but it's really not that big of a deal. At 13 to 19, you get knocked through a random curtain into a, the border ethereal of a random plane of existence. Oh, roll a 1d12. <laughs> so you can hit back on the material plane. You can get Shadowfell, Feywild, or any of the... Fun ones. Any of the elemental planes. The table only goes through a d8, and it only does the four primary elemental planes. I would actually personally modify this to be a d12, and then throw the four transitive elemental planes as well. Absolutely. If they're there, they're an option. Yeah. So there's that. But on a 20, on a 20, you get thrown into the astral plane. I love that. So how the hell are you going to roll a 20 on a D12? No, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't say it on a D12. I said on a D20. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying roll on a, a, D, a D12 for the, to see where you got shunted to. Yeah, that's if you get a 13 to 19. So you have to roll on the other table to see which curtain you get knocked through. Gotcha, okay. There's just a little miscommunication there. We're all good. I wanted to roll a 20 on a d12. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that will get us into the second part. Before we port there, though, there was a couple things in the ethereal planet. Like I said, I do want to talk about, one, the spooky ghost, because if you are going to go, again, it's not just, I mean, aside from the cyclones, that's not the only danger to you. So again, anything that's spectral, anything that's ghost, a lot of your undead that are your spirit forms, so like your wraiths, your, your specters, your will-o'-wisps. Any incorporeal undead can go into the ethereal plane at will. Yeah, this is kind of home for them, and so they are definitely going to be there. Depending on the version, going back through lore, and again, it's, it's kind of hard. But sometimes in the ethereal plane, there's remnants of old cities standing there, or formed in there. So you can find these old cities and there'll be a keeper of some sort within the city and it's just filled with ghosts. And so if you had to go back and find some sort of lore or information about this, you'd have to fight your way through. Coming on this, again, the website, 5th edition SRD, Ian was pointing out this isn't all canon, which is unfortunate because they have something that's really cool, but they have etheric influenza, which is actually a disease you can pick up if you're in the ethereal plane too long. But I wanted to go ahead and read this real quick just because I thought it was rather interesting. But a character must make a con save DC 8 after every day which he spends more than two hours on the ethereal plane. Etheric influenza lasts for six plus 1d6 days, during which the character's maximum hit points are reduced by five, but the character can also dimly perceive ethereal creatures' wisdom perception check DC 17 required. Finally, the character's skin is noticeably grayer and clammier, a sure sign that he has spent some time in the ethereal realm. So basically your lungs fill up with what they call the ectoplasm in here. It's kind of the goop kicking around and you're coughing it up. And while you're still sick with the stuff, you can actually see ethereal creatures on the material plane while being sick. And I thought that was kind of a neat little disease to throw out because again, diseases got left behind a bit in fifth edition as well. And so another real quick, you can end up running into any of the denizens of the Echo or Inner Planes while you're in the Ethereal Plane, because it is a transitive plane. It is a way to get from one plane to another. So you can end up having genies and elementals and fae and ghosts 
And because you can get into the astral plane from the ethereal plane, you can end up having celestials and fiends and all of those others, along with high level spellcasters from the material plane that are just lich. <coughs> going from one place to another. Yes. <laughs> yes, you can totally run into a lich in the ethereal plane. So again, while it is vast, while it is largely empty, it's not safe. There are very few places outside of the material plane that are safe. <laughs> yeah, the fact that all of the stuff that happens to a D&D party, all of the dangers and adventures, the material plane is probably one of the safer areas to be in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that in itself says a lot. <laughs> all right, so... I think that pretty well covers what you can run into and how you go about doing stuff in the ethereal plane. Let's go ahead and hop into the astral plane because, oh boy, we got some stuff. This one gets fun. All right, so rules is written. In order to get to the astral plane, you have to use plane shift or astral projection. Plane shift will physically put you into the astral plane. Astral projection will put your consciousness into the astral plane your astral self yes your astral self you project see how the spell works and it will be tethered to your body by the silver cord and the silver cord is very important you don't want to encounter anything that can sever your silver cord because if you sever your silver cord you die and your consciousness is cursed to wander the astral sea until it gets devoured it's not a pretty thing if you want a firmer idea of how the astral plane works just go ahead and watch either the history channel or the discovery channel after about 1 a.m and you'll start pulling up like your ancient aliens and your egger casey stuff and <laughs> things like that but yeah again it is the psychic spiritual representation of yourself that goes there and again the astral plane in itself can be a little wonky. There's no necessary up or down or left or right. Everything just kind of floats. It's one of those very empty places until it's not. It is commonly also referred to as the Astral Sea because there is sort of a silver shimmer bottom-ish stuff that you can go with that kind of looks like water. And then you've got these roiling silver clouds overhead and it's just that silver gray everywhere. Right. It just is. But where in the ethereal plane you have your curtains, in the astral plane you've got pools of different colors, and the different colored pools will connect to the ethereal plane, they'll connect to the material plane, and then they'll connect to the different outer planes. So all of your aligned planes in your Great Wheel cosmology that go around everything. So, you know, Mechanus and Limbo and the Nine Hells and the Abyss and Mount Celestia and all of those all of those are... You forgot Pandemonium. Chaos Woohoo. Yeah, well, Pandemonium. <laughs> Technically, I think Limbo is pure chaos. Uh, I believe so, yes. And Pandemonium... Yeah, Pandemonium is, is one tick down. It's the border between chaotic, uh, chaotic neutral and chaotic evil. That's the difference between Chaos Woohoo and Chaos... Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then the next one down is the Abyss. So... Yes, that that's Chaos. Oh, dear God, what do we do? Yeah. But so the different colored pools determine where you're going to come out. So you would figure out what color the plane you want to go to is going to be. And then you go and you find the pool of that color and you hop through it. And if you're lucky, you can find someone who is an astral traveler who knows where the different portals are in relation to one another. And they can help guide you from one to another in the shortest possible path. Because otherwise, you're going to be wandering for a good long while. Right. Actually, 
with different versions, there's actually what they call way stations or wayfarers, and they kind of float in between these different pools. They have different ways to kind of find and detect when something's going to pop into the astral plane, and they tend to head in that direction. And, you know, it's a quick point where you can buy some supplies or maybe glean some information from people, depending on how you want to do things. And now the one hazard that is, you know, not a living being that you have to potentially contend with in the astral plane are the psychic winds. So if you're in the astral plane and you end up getting into an area where the psychic winds pick up, there's a location effect that happens as a roll on the table. And then after that hits, each person in your group has to make a DC 15 intelligence save. And if they fail, they end up getting a mental effect on top. So psychic winds are something that you can pull in as an environmental hazard. It's not something that I would use every time, but it is something that's good to keep in mind that you could pull it out if you end up running into an instance where you need something to just sort of liven everything up. Another thing that I think is real fun, and again, this one is not quite canon, but a great idea. And I've seen different things like this. So again, this might go back to some older canon. My familiarity with some of these older planes with older editions are minimized, unfortunately. But these astral vaults, so the concept that at some point someone on some other plane had basically used Vanish or Plane Shift or something to teleport you know, a monster, a baddie, someone they didn't like into the astral plane. And they basically get imprisoned into a black cube, which you can stumble across while in the astral plane. And so if you're able to unlock or break open this cube, then you have whatever loot this monster would have dropped. And if the monster has somehow still survived at this point, then you also get a nice little random surprise. Here's a fight. So it's like a little bit of goodies kind of floating around randomly. And again, that could be a good bit of fun for some one or two one-off type things if you kind of need a filler session. Not a terrible thing to throw in at your character. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you that they're probably still alive in there because time does not pass in the astral plane. Well, yeah, so there's that too. <laughs> yeah, time hits zero in the astral plane. It does not advance at all. So that's why the GIF end up having to actually leave the astral plane in order to procreate because time does not progress within the astral plane. So they hatch from eggs. So they have to take their eggs to usually the material plane, a secret enclave that they have on the material plane, let the eggs hatch, wait for the children to mature and then bring them back. So yeah, again, with the astral plane, you can play a bit with your time dilation and how your time effects are going to work. So if you ever want to do some time jaunts, that's a fairly easy way to do that. Particularly if you wanted to run something like a good steampunk campaign and needed a reason for things to jolt one way or another, not a bad tool to use. And it is important to note that even in the astral plane, time stops, but it doesn't revert. So you don't, you can't go back. Nobody ever goes back. Now, one thing that we do have to touch on in the astral plane is the Gith Yankee. Oh, yeah. Because they are the biggest hazard that you can run into in the astral plane. The Gith were a slave race to the Illithid. They successfully rose up and freed themselves. And they have since broken into two factions. You have the Gith Yankee, who live in the Astral Plane, and they fight the Illithid on occasion. And then you have the Gith Zarai, who are the good-aligned Gith, who have fled into the Plane of Limbo, And they're the ones that use their psionics a lot. And there's a whole lot of bad blood between the two. 
and they have been separated for long enough that they're actually becoming two separate races. So it's an interesting sort of thing that they've got going on there. And it does point out in the books that if they could ever get over their animosity towards one another and reunite, they could totally annihilate the rest of the Illithid. Yeah, I was going to say, one, you've got some really cool divergent evolution, which in its own right is kind of awesome. The fact that there's a culture or species that can, you know, fight and win not one, not two, not a village, but the entire race of Illithids is astounding. Right, and just to put it into context, the queen of the Githyanki, her throne is called the Throne of Bones, and it is made from the skulls and appendages of illithid corpses, and she sits upon a cushion formed from the tanned surface of an elder brain. That is what so they have going So are you saying there's skulls for the skull god? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. These things are really kind of awesome. They really are. And to top it all off, they have an alliance with Tiamat, and so they have red dragons. Just because. Just, just because. Because, you know, if you're going to have a cherry... It's going to be a red dragon. Yeah. So you've got some Githyanki that fly around on red dragons. You've got other Githyanki that are flying around on these psychic powered astral skiffs. These these uh, mentally powered psionic ships that originally they stole them and then they reverse engineered so that they can actually use them from the Illithid. So they've got that going for them. So and they are able to take these ships into the material plane and raid because they're basically airships. So they go into the material plane and raid and then come back. And yeah, the gift don't mess around. So I heard you like fantasy games. So we're going to go ahead and put a fantasy game in your fantasy game and just totally run a D&D version of Warhammer 40k. <laughs> <laughs> and one last little thing that I do want to touch on regarding the gift Yankee before we continue on is they have these special silver swords that can cut a silver cord. So you, you, you have to be real careful if you are projecting into the astral plane and you come across a raiding group of Githyanki because you stuck now. they could sever your cord and then you have to get your consciousness back to the portal that you came through, right. assuming that you can find it, assuming that you can get away from the Githyanki to find it, and you have to get back through that portal before your body dies. Talking about silver cord, we actually got to brush up on this not last week, but the week before when we were talking about the uh, Shadowfell. But that, uh, what was the monster? Oh, the Astral Dreadnought? Yes, that guy. Yeah, we're, we're getting to them. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I'm just jumping around. You are. I send you a bulleted list and everything. I didn't see him on the bulleted <laughs> list, but let me double check. So some encounters that you can run into on the Astral Sea. So you're going to end up with travelers from the outer planes. So you got demons, devils, inevitables, modrons, celestials. You're going to have high level casters either projecting or physically entering that are traveling to the outer planes. Uh, you can run into Gith Yankee raid ships or Illithid mine ships that are patrolling the astral plane. Potentially, you could run into things like star spawn and other outsiders from the far realms that are making an incursion from the far realms into the astral plane in order to reach one of the other planes. You know what this makes me want to do? Just hearing about this and kind of like I'm brainstorming it because I'm slightly crazy and whatnot, but like an astral plane pirate scenario. 
So like you have to transport some sort of object or material or cargo between planes. And so a lot of it's going across the astral plane and you have this get the Yankee basically raiding ships trying to get whatever the hell it is. And again, you're just taking your basic pirate scene and instead of in the oceans, it's just out in the astral sea. But I think that could add a lot of flavor and a lot of fun to a campaign. Yeah, it really could. And one other thing that uh, I wanted to bring up was for an encounter, something that I'm calling fragments of divinity so canon is if a god dies their physical form goes into the astral sea so you'll find dead gods floating around in the astral sea and it could be that it's just their physical form and their energy is still floating around waiting to coalesce into a new form whenever they can gain enough followers or what have you it could be that they're not really dead they're just dormant and they're waiting for that infusion of energy It could be any of a number of things, but there are quote unquote dead gods in the astral plane and you could end up having all sorts of weird stuff go on around that. And it does also mention that if you try to move a dead god, it'll end up basically rubber banding back to wherever it was if you try and move it. So you can't pull it out of the astral plane. Uh, If you try, it'll just go back to where it was. You can't really haul it to another part of the astral plane because if as soon as you leave it unattended it's going to go back to where it was so yeah this one's way above my pay grade i'm gonna have to go ahead and summon neil gaiman to handle this one (laughs) that said podcast people if anyone can get this episode to neil gaiman and say hey we have an idea would you like to work with it that'd be awesome (laughs) but yeah this definitely feels like this would be up his alley yeah well i mean this is kind of like the vault of forgotten gods that he has in one of his flashback sections in american gods yeah so yeah this is where gods go when they die and it could another thing it could be it could just be an effigy of the god it could be not the god's physical form but an effigy representing that god oh my and whenever they return or reform or however that ends up going i like that whole concept of divinity is energy it cannot be created or destroyed it just changes form so if a god's physical form dies its divinity is still there floating around waiting to coalesce into something okay so again i'm gonna apologize for everybody but i have to share because my brain's going sideways and this is too good not to share but now i see like just a swarm of like little stick figure Satans that some angsty 13 year old drew in his school book because he was bored or whatever. You know, they got thrown away or shredded and now they wind up in the astral plane. So you're going through and now you've got all these little stick figure Satans running around sitting there with little pitchforks trying to poke people. <laughs> <laughs> they would obviously be like a CR or like one eighth or something like that because they're just like little mini things. But yeah. Right. And then the last thing, the single most dangerous thing that you're going to potentially run into in the astral plane. Me. You're not an astral dread, not James. Damn it! <laughs> so the Why astral bubble. So the astral dreadnought is all kinds of awesome. This thing really is. They were created by Theris Dune, the chained god, to prevent mortals from traveling from the material plane to the outer planes to seek the secrets of divinity to contact the gods and to figure out if it was possible how to become a god. Because, I mean, really, if you're going to do it, you might as well just go full bore. Yeah, it's basically they're giant guard dogs to keep mortals out of the outer planes. We should hate them. We should, but they're awesome. They Um, are awesome, but I hate a locked door. (laughs) There's a workaround, depending on the edition that you're looking at. So, for starters, it has an anti-magic gaze. A 150-foot cone anti-magic gaze imagine a beholder but on steroids yeah (laughs) and 
you can't banish it. You can't move it to another plane of existence. It literally cannot go off of the astral plane. And it is one of the few things that can naturally sever a silver cord. It used to be if it bit you, it could do it. Now it's a little bit more forgiving. If it rolls a critical hit against you, it can choose to not deal damage, but sever your silver cord instead. So, I mean, at least there's that. Yeah, these things are definitely some scary, scary creatures. And the big thing is its stomach is a demiplane. Just because. Just because. So if you get swallowed by an astral dreadnought, the only way you're getting out is if you have plane shift or gate. So, you know, you're stuck on a plane anyway, and now you're going to be stuck on a plane within the plane. Yes. It's planeception. And one of its legendary actions is it looks at you and it teleports you into its demiplane stomach for a round. And you can't harm it from inside. Because it's a demiplane. It's not actually a physical space within the Astral Dreadnought. So you can wail on the walls all you want. It's not going to change anything. That's assuming you can find a wall. I just see, again, one of those like blank I think it's, expanses. I think it's like a 300-foot cube. I think it's how it's described. Okay. It is given parameters for what okay. it is. And it is. But yeah, you're not touching this thing. It's not going to matter because... You're not there. Yeah. And at least with that one, if it decides to banish you into its demiplane, you do at least get to come back out at the end of your turn. So that there's that versus if it just eats you entirely. Yes. If it, it can do that, too. if it swallows you, then you're stuck there until some wizard is able to get you out. Now, I would have something kind of tricky, and I want to know what you think about this, but okay. the whole putting a bag of holding inside of a bag of holding. Okay. Doesn't that supposed to create a portal to a different plane? I think it just tears a rift. I, th- I think it tears a rift between, I think it's between the material and astral plane. So could you do that in like an emergency type thing? If you're stuck in this thing's belly and it's like, well, potentially, I got two bags. <laughs> potentially, I would have to look at what the actual canon mechanical response for is. Gotcha. For putting an extra planar space into an extra planar space. Right. And I mean, that would be one of those, like I said, desperate last act type things. Well, I could do this. Hope it works, you know? Yeah. I mean, because it's, I don't know, it's it's a weird thing. Yeah, it is a weird thing. Sorry. Didn't mean to break no, you. No, you're good. So for getting to the, to the ethereal or astral planes, whenever you don't have access to seventh level spells, whenever you don't have etherealness or plane shift or astral projection or gate yet, there are some ways that you can finagle it using some creativity to create a way to get from the material plane into one of these planes without the spells. One of them would probably be, whenever you're talking about the ethereal plane, you would definitely be able to do it through dreaming if you can figure out how to do the dreams. There's some spells that were in third edition that weren't ported because the plane of dreams wasn't ported. So that would allow you to physically enter the plane of dreams. And then you can go from dreams out into the ethereal plane just because. I would say mirrors would be a good way to get into the ethereal plane if you had a way to manipulate that. So mirrors in a haunted house. I could see that. So like a scrying mirror or something like that, like a blackened mirror. Not even that. I mean, even just a literal bog standard mirror in a place that has a heavy incorporeal undead presence. These are entities that can pass back and forth at will. And as you pass back and forth, 
it weakens that barrier. Right. Yeah, I could totally see that. And then a mirror is one of those things where you look at your reflection and the trope has been beaten to death, but the person on the other side is someone in a parallel dimension or what have you. Yeah, well, I mean, mirrors in folklore have long been since gateways for spirits and things like that. So really, that does make a lot of sense. That's why you'll find like in a lot of old Victorian houses or things like that, they would actually keep curtains over the mirror. So if the mirror wasn't being used, they would actually shroud it. Yeah, and it was very common practice for whenever there was a death in the house, you would cover the mirrors. Right. So yeah, mirrors definitely have that connection that we can draw on for this. And in third edition, there were actually items that were mirrors that facilitated travel that acted as portals that you could turn on to travel into the ethereal plane. So that is something that you could pull in. And the last one specifically for the ethereal plane that I wanted to touch on was locations with permanent or heavy mist or fog so like the graveyard in london obviously you know where i grew up in central california they have what i jokingly like to call the death fog or it's also known as the Thule fog and for about four or five months out of the year you know the winter months you get this extremely dense fog so something like this near like a central california there's a lot of almond orchards a lot of fruit things like that so some place like that, or, you know, obviously the, the stereotypical graveyard, the abandoned house, very easily because you'd get that transition and from the fog to, say, ectoplasm or that curtain would be one of those things where you wouldn't notice the shift necessarily. Right. So from a lore or an RP or a scene setting perspective, really easy to set up. Yeah, and that would also be a great way to have somebody go into, say, the Shadowfell or the Feywild because you end up going through, you know, entering into this fog bank and you don't realize that you've made the transition into the ethereal plane. And by the time you do, you've been in it for a while and you're all turned around and you have no idea where you're going. And the curtain for whatever plane that you're wanting to send them into just happens to be there. And so then they have to decide, are we going to turn around and go back and try and get back to where we were? Or are we just going to go through this curtain and hope for the best? Yeah, the ethereal plane, again, makes a great hallway full of doors. Kind of not quite the same way, but it's the scene in Nightmare Before Christmas where they've got all the different holiday doors. They're all painted. Kind of like that, but instead just colored fog. That scene is more sigil, the city of doors. Yeah, that's you were probably correct with that. Yeah, I will I will definitely grant you that one. Which is something we're going to definitely be touching on a little bit later on. And now with the astral plane, the astral plane notoriously doesn't have permanent portals. The nature of it is anathema to establishing a permanent portal, but you can end up because it's easy to get is easier to get off of the astral plane into the plane you want to get to than it is to get from a plane onto the astral plane. Right. Going lore wise, I would give my monks, my clerics, possibly my wizards, if they want to take a full long rest meditating, you know, access. I did double check and the putting the bag of holding into a incorporeal space does create a one-way portal to the astral plane. So that's, that is how okay. that is supposed to work. So you would drop a bag of holding into a bag of holding. It would rip a rift into the astral plane. You'd pass through it and then you would end up in a random location in the astral plane. Right. So you'd be out of the astral dreadnought. 
you wouldn't necessarily be anywhere near any of your friends. No, you wouldn't be where you want. But again, this as well does link back to if you're on the material plane or on another plane in general, this is a way to get to the astral plane. Yeah. You go there, you have no determination of where or when you're getting there, but you do wind up there. And so the one place that I think you might actually run into a somewhat stable portal would be if you could find a Githyanki enclave. Yes, absolutely. On the material plane. It'll be hard to get into because there's going to be red dragons and Gith guarding it. But if you can get to it and you can get into it and you can find this portal, you could probably go through into the astral plane. You'd probably end up getting spit out into the major Githyanki city or one of their outposts on the astral plane. So you're going to be having a lot of Githyanki interaction. And so you would have a difficult time doing it. There would be a lot of fighting involved if you're not careful. Yeah, this isn't something you would do as a first or second level character. This is... No, 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 no. If you want to go ahead and fight some Get the Yankee, you are far better off having that seventh level spell in your pocket and just going that way with it. <laughs> I don't know, because, I mean, you could probably get away with doing this at about 12th level. Yeah. Which is about three levels before you would start getting the spells that you would need. I think you get seventh level at 15. That sounds about correct. It's either 13 or 15. I can't remember which, and I'm not looking it up right now. But yeah, so that's how I would run that. The other way is you can pay a small fortune and get a scroll and use magical device type thing as well. Scroll of plane shift or whatever. Probably a, a way to do it, but very, very expensive. Well, in order to use a scroll in 5th edition, it has to be a spell from your spell list that you can cast. Does it? Yeah. Oh, you can see how often they use scrolls in my campaigns. <laughs> The biggest thing that you use scrolls for in 5th edition is giving your wizards a way to pick up spells to copy into their spellbook. But there's one other way that I wanted to talk about for getting into either the ethereal or the astral plane, and that is sabotaging a summoning circle or portal. Oh, this sounds like such a bad idea. So A gloriously, gloriously bad idea. So picture this. Picture this, you end up coming on the big room full of cultists. They're in the middle of summoning their big devil, right? They're in the middle of it. The devil is starting to materialize in this summoning circle. You charge in. In the chaos, you break the circle. All of that energy basically whiplashes back, tears open a rift into the astral plane. And sucks everybody in. I like a good spell backlash. So the way that I would do it is for a summoning from the Shadowfell, the Feywild, or one of the elemental planes. So if they're summoning a genie or if they're summoning an elemental, that would sit you into the ethereal plane. Because that's where the ethereal plane sits between the material plane, the echoes, and the inner planes. Right. If they're summoning an entity from one of the outer planes, then you would end up getting popped into the astral plane. That sounds perfectly logical. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That would be a great way to transition a party based off of some happenstance that happens in an encounter. Yeah. So they break the circle. Now what? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No, I like that scenario a lot. And again, that's a good way to get your party into one of these planes a little early versus them having to, you know, be level 12, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. All right, so real quick at the very end of all of this, some encounter ideas that you can run with. Pirates. On these different planes. We've already talked about pirates. 
We've already talked about our Gift Yankee Pirates. I like it. It's a great idea. <laughs> I will agree with you. So from the ethereal plane, you're going to run into incorporeal undead. It's just a thing that you're going to do. Creatures that can enter the plane at will. So you're going to run into blink dogs. You're going to run into phase spiders. You're going to run into... These creatures haven't been translated into 5th edition yet. The ethereal marauder, the ethereal filcher. These creatures that are able to bounce back and forth between the ethereal and material planes at will. You're going to run into genies, elementals, and fey. You're going to run into potentially powerful undead casters. So your liches are going to be using the ethereal plane to move potentially between the material and the shadowfell. And then for things that you can use an ethereal plane jaunt for, trying to get to another plane that is otherwise inaccessible. Right. So let's say that you're trying to get into the mountain hall of these dwarves and the tunnels have all been collapsed. You can go into the ethereal plane and just pass through all of the debris, come out on the other side. Absolutely. Yeah, that is a good way. And again, that kind of goes back to that roguish thing we had worked on forever ago, doing that as part of like an espionage setup, which is actually a really cool way to do things. And another thing is if you have to find and communicate with a specific dead spirit. Yeah. I was expecting you to be a little more excited about that. I do like the spirits. I was thinking, yeah, that also ties back into where we talked about, you know, sometimes there's old shadows or shades of fallen or forgotten cities or villages. And again, one of those dead spirits might be basically taking the form of town mayor or king of the keep or whatever. So definitely a way to find and clean some old forgotten knowledge. And now with the astral plane, you could end up running into things like a skirmish between Githyanki and Illithid or Githzerai. You could end up, if you're projecting, you're going to be on the lookout for an Astral Dreadnought. Absolutely. One adventure hook that I think would be a really cool thing would be, you know that this person who had this artifact that you need was on the Astral Plane and got eaten by an Astral Dreadnought. And so the thing that they had is inside of this Astral Dreadnought. And so now you have to go and find the right astral dreadnought, find a way to get inside of it to get the thing and get out, or kill the astral dreadnought, because if it dies, the contents of its stomach just sort of blah what? out Why do you hate into the astral plane around it. What? Why do you hate your parties? I don't hate my parties. Let's go find the biggest, scariest thing that you can possibly imagine. You're going to go pick a fight with it and hope you pick a fight with the right one. It's not the biggest, scariest thing that I could possibly imagine. And the astral plane, it's pretty darn close to it. And then you hope that you pick the fight with the right one. Oh, no, we killed this one. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Your princess is in another castle. Here, go go try to get eaten by that one over there. <laughs> Come on, it's only a CR-21. Only. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that would be one of those instances where you would have the particular one would be marked, would have some sort of mark to it. It would have some sort of identifier. And then you would be able to go to the Gith Yankee because extraplanar travelers do go visit the Gith Yankee. So you would be able to go to the Gith Yankee and say, hey, we're looking for this specific astral dreadnought and get a tracker that can help you track it down i like that again going to probably the city of bronze because you wouldn't want the city in shadowfell but that would be a good city way to of brass find, city of brass yeah find a track there if you happen to come across a genie that would actually be a decent way to pop a wish so you could figure it out it would be a pretty beefy fay to make a deal with so that they could point it out to you 
But I think a genie wish might actually that sounds that well, sounds genie like. If you have a genie wish, then why don't you just wish for them to pull the item out of the astral dreadnought to you? I suppose you could do that because I mean plot hooks, so maybe there's a limit on what you could wish for. Plot hooks, man, plot hooks. <laughs> yeah, you could plot hook that it has to be on the same plane. Yeah, and where it's on a demi plane within the astral dreadnought, it's not on a plane that he can target. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that could work. So another thing would be a wizard whose cord has been cut and he needs you to help him get back to his body before he dies. I like that one. And again, that one would be, I would almost want to make this one where you have to jump back and forth between the planes because you have to like try to guide this wizard and at the same time maintain the wizard's body. Yeah, I can see that where this would be a, you find the unresponsive body. Right. And his minder knows that he's in the astral plane, but it's taking him too long. And so you have to go into the astral plane after him and find him in the astral plane because his cord has been severed and bring him back. Yeah, I like that. Again, any of the creatures from the outer planes you can run into out here. So angels, demons, devils, inevitables, modrons, yugoloths, any of those run into beasts from the far realms. So, you know, aboliths, beholders, star spawn, any of those. Some of our Lovecraft stories now. yes. And then a couple more adventure hooks for the astral plane. Having to recover someone who has been abducted by a Githyanki uh, raiding party because they do do raids into the material plane. And sometimes they just kill everybody and sometimes they take slaves back. Right. So maybe you have to go and find them and recover somebody who has been abducted by a Githyanki raiding party. Try it, Drew. I like, I like it. And then the last one that I had was you need to get to one of the outer planes, but for some reason, planar travel is blocked. Ooh, I could see that. So you're like an outer plane and there's a deity or something trying to block access to it. Yeah, so there's some blockade that's keeping teleportation magic from working. So you try to open a gate and it won't open. I like that. So you end up having to go into the astral plane and then finding a pool that connects and then jump through the pool to get in. And oh my god, the concept of an extra planar blockade. So you could actually have like a war conflict between planes or the deity of the planes. And that's their thing is they're trying to like cut it off of supplies or whatnot. So now you become like a smuggler or like a supply runner or blockade runner. That has, I don't know, that has potential. It'd have to take a lot of work to get it to work right. But that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I could see something like an overarching campaign plot where the big bad has managed to work with the devils and getting Asmodeus and figured out a way to get Asmodeus and his devils into, say, like Mount Celestia or something. Oh, yeah. And so you're trying to get into Mount Celestia. They've got it on lockdown because they've got a devil incursion. Oh, I like this. Okay, so they've got it locked down. They've got a devil incursion. And your job to start off would be to like go to the other planes and find whatever Celestials you are and then sneak them back across and in so they could fight from the inside back out. So, like, you'd have to go to the planes, find them, convince them to join you, do some sort of favor, get them with you, and then somehow sneak back across and then fight the blockade from the inside. Oh, that would be a great story. I can totally see this as one of the instances of, say, it was a diva of some sort. So it would be, like, a solar or a planetar that ends up, coming and finding you and maybe because you have a cleric or a paladin in your party that has a certain divine connection or a uh, a celestial pacted warlock maybe and this is their patron a planetar would totally make a great 
celestial pact warlock patron. Yeah, I could see everyone just kind of gathered at the local temple because it's like a holiday or something like that or some sort of, you know, just right. And it's kind of like the vision of Marriott Fatma where she just pops up to everyone with, hey, whoever, you know, wants to respond to this, we need help, you know, and then your parties, whoever decides to step up. I'm seeing this as they are the entity that you're trying to sneak in. Oh, okay, yeah. They are the shock troops. Okay. And so they're bringing you along as their reinforcements to help hit these devils from the back. And <laughs> Sorry, my, my brain's yeah. 12 years old. <laughs> We're going to need some rogues in this. Yes. But anyway, so we've been at this for a while now, and I think we should probably just leave it there. Yeah, I think so. Again, these planes are vastly empty until they're not, and there's a lot of things you can use to kind of throw in. And with just a little bit of imagination, you really can do a lot with them. Right. I mean, they're more than just an extra jaunt on your journey. A lot of possibilities. And again, that is one thing that 5th edition has done really well by, as much as I hate that they have left a lot out, they did leave a ton to the imagination. So thank you everyone for listening and for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you have any suggestions or ideas that you want to send to us you can send us an email at undercommontaste at gmail.com or send us a direct message through our twitter account at uct homebrew i'm still doing my shakespearean insult page a day calendar inspired rp prompt six days a week on the twitter account that i cross post to the facebook and instagram accounts undercommontaste uh, we have a patreon now so if you want to help financially support the show you can go support us through patreon patreon.com slash undercommon taste and if you check out our patreon ian has just now recently put up he's finished his she court mobs that he actually spent a lot of time on and they are amazing because again looking back at some of our fake creatures the list of fifth edition fake creatures are kind of sparse and they were definitely lacking some of the higher ends and so these actually turned out to be extremely interesting so if you want to see these definitely check out the patreon yeah so the seely and unseely court she are up on the free they're for everybody you don't have to be a patron in order to get those but i have the court of coral the gloaming court and the wild court those three together are all in the document that all of the patrons regardless of their pay level have access to and that's one of the things that is very important to me is that if you are a patron you have access to all of the materials that i'm putting out because it doesn't matter if you're in the $3 bracket or a higher bracket. You're paying me for this content, so I'm making sure that you get it. Absolutely. So we are available on most of your podcast streaming sites. Please leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe if you can. All of these things help our visibility and help us get out to more listeners. So we would greatly appreciate any help that you could give us in that regard. So we'll catch you all next week and happy gaming. Happy gaming. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Undercommon Taste. If you enjoyed what you heard, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, suggestions, or ideas, you can email them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, and we would greatly appreciate any likes, ratings, and comments you could provide. Find us on social media. We're at Undercommon Taste on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and on Twitter at the handle at UCT Homebrew. If you would like to help support the show financially, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash undercommontaste. Our theme is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find her online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com 
or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dr. Mary C. Crowell. Thanks again for listening, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.